This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, this is producer Dez stepping out of the shadows to fill in for Luis Miguel Echegaray and the rest of the familiar faces of Kei Golazzo, who have all abandoned me and Heath Pierce for the Easter weekend and are presumably gorging on chocolate eggs. Well, the show must go on, and after a weekend full of twists, turns, and goalkeeping fumbles, we've got a lot to get through. Beginning, of course, with Real Madrid's second remontada of the week, Liverpool and Chelsea getting things done at Wembley, Manchester United reasserting themselves in the top four race, and PSG eking out a victory in Le Classique, and much more. The Kegolazzo weekend recap begins right now. I've always wanted to say that. Yeah. Heat, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I, I, I like the I like the hosting uh side of side of uh your game, you know. It's like uh <laughs> the person who went to Hollywood because they wanted to make movies only to find out that they're the uh the star in their films, you know. Uh I like it. <laughs> I, I'm doing well though, man. It's been a great weekend. Unbelievable not I know there's more games today, but unbelievable end to what I feel was the largest uh, game of, of of a match of match of the day with with Sevilla and Real Madrid. I mean, there was the Crystal Palace Chelsea, but that didn't end as as excitingly as that one did. So I'm excited to talk about all things football. For sure, for sure. Uh, so yeah, without further ado, anyway, anyone listening in on podcast form, please, as always, we have to uh, we have to throw out the calls to action. Make sure you're following. Leave us a glowing rating review. Anyway, on with the show. Um, Real Madrid, Sevilla. Another remontada, three-two. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, it was a t- yeah, it was a, it was a tale of two halves. It, it truly was, and I know that we say that uh, seemingly a lot now about uh, this Real Madrid side, and we've been highly critical of them throughout the season, just in terms of like after this season, how do they rebuild? If Kylian Mbappe went there, what would be you know wouldn't just be a signing? You need multiple signings, but somehow they've they continue to find a way to motivate themselves and. The, the the moment that I go to, at least in this game, with 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 regard to the remontada, the comeback, was that at, the third goal happened from Benzema checking back to the midfield, where you could just see, and you very rarely see this because it's such a large field and a large sport. You see this a lot in basketball, right? Where you just see the eyes of a guy who's about ready to take over a game, and it's just sort of going like, "There's something here for me. I need to go and find that." And I was watching him, his movements uh, more often than not uh, today just because of the fact of what he's done recently, right? And he's done it for his entire career, but recently just has this attention of like his movement. And the commentators were talking a lot about his movement and things like that. So I started watching him and whatnot. But when it came down to that third goal, you know, for anybody that didn't know, uh, Sevilla up 2-0 on a couple of mistakes. Uh, Real Madrid get one back. And then all of a sudden it starts a little bit of this momentum of like, can can Sevilla hold off at home in front of this incredible atmosphere and, and, and their fans, can they hold off for the rest of the game? And then... Uh, as I was getting to Benzema checks back, he gets the, gets the ball, lays it off. And you can just see that he's just kind of looking for the ball over and over and over again. They go down to the touchline, they cut it back to him and he's able to put it away. And it was one of those things where it was just, when you see a player, when you see a striker check back as far as he did to get the ball, usually you're like, dude, get back up by the goal. We're down a goal. We need more. We can't just, 
because I, I, it's hard to take over games in football, right? Because it, you check back and now you've got seven players you've got to get passed by yourself. And so that series of events leads to three, four, five passes to the cutback to him that he's able to take with you know one touch, sets up with a second touch to keep the momentum going of the defenders going the other way and puts it away. Um, it was just an incredible comeback and one where, you know, the halftime conversation was, is there a title race? Is, you know, is this good for Sevilla? If Sevilla win this one, uh, you know, they've fallen from grace from the, from the start of the year, uh, from the start of this year, they were kind of in a title race and they've fallen back and then they would have jumped Barcelona had they won this one. Barcelona also wanted Sevilla to win it, thinking they could probably go head to head against Sevilla to finish second in the league or even challenge for a title. But now you've got this uh, massive gap and it's pretty much over at least in my book, Des. I don't know your take on this, but this was literally the moment of the season for Sevilla. It was the moment of the season for Barcelona and Real Madrid being able to pull off all three points after being down 2-0 away from home. I just don't see how they can come back uh, in any way, shape, or form because you're, you're talking about 32 matches. That means, yeah, I know Barcelona has two games in hand, so that would put it at nine points. Um, right, wouldn't that be? I mean, be, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think even coming into this game, the the season's been wrapped up. It's just a case. It's just a question of when. Uh, just the fact Sevilla like getting anything out of that is just trying to assure their their position in in the top four because you know there's there's a few teams going to to crack in there. I'm looking at Real Betis and Real Sociedad who who drew uh, who drew goose eggs or Easter eggs uh, on Friday, and so that probably did Sevilla a favor. That was Sevilla's first defeat at home of the season. They were up until that point the first or the only uh, La Liga team unbeaten at home. Yeah. Um, but it's just that Real Madrid team. But, Once but, they but, get that one one goal back, there's just that sense of inevitability about what's going to happen. Yeah, but it, I mean, even then, if you took it to... Uh, if they lost that, right, it would have been at 12 points. Barcelona's got two games in hand. That would take it to six points. Which I still think is like okay with with six games left to go, you got to win what four of those six? Like, come on! Like, I don't see Real Madrid not winning those against the, the with the schedule that they have. But it was still a conversation, and now this is completely dead because you took three away from Sevilla, you gave them to Real Madrid. They're now at the top, and games in hand. We've seen that. We saw it with Spurs, who did a little bit. We, we're seeing that now, where I think uh, 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 Arsenal's last game in hand is is this upcoming game against uh, who is it against Chelsea or something like that, right? Uh, they're the Arsenal, yeah. Who are they playing next? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's Chelsea. Up. Is their the game in the last game in hand that they had uh, coming up, and they haven't made the most of of the gaps that they had. They started to, and then, I mean, and then fell we'll, apart. We'll so. get to that. Yeah. Don't worry. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll, but we'll I, talk about but, but the theme <laughs> the theme being that like games in hand don't always mean as much as people think they do, and they go, oh yeah, automatic six points because it's Barcelona. That's not always the case. We thought Barcelona should have been ironclad in the Europa League, and and weren't able to do it. So overall. Again, you go back to, like you said, Sevilla's first loss at home in the season. They looked incredible in the first half. And, of course, it was a few mistakes off a free kick. The wall splits. Ball goes through there. That happens. But they didn't look like they were really giving uh, Real Madrid much of a sniff. They were looking off the pace a little bit. And to come back with three goals like that, I incredible. And just pretty much, you know, stamps their 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 trophy for this year in, the, in terms of the league title. For sure. I mean, we've been speaking a lot about Real Madrid recently on the pod, of course, covering Champions League. How could you not? And uh, I just want to talk a little bit about Sevilla, though, uh, and just how their season has kind of collapsed on them. Uh, starting in January, there was only five points difference between them and Real Madrid. So they were definitely in contention. And, you know, looking at the calendar back then, you would have thought today was going to be, you know, almost decisive. Um, 
But since then, they've just been drawing games. Like uh, today, they didn't draw, but it's just been drawing games and an inability to score goals. Like they don't really have. Well, Rafa Mir is a target man, but not a prolific one. Uh, Anthony Marshall is, you know, struggling to find his feet. He has been for quite a while. And um, Manchester United fans will know all about that. And there's no and buy, you, there's you, no buy capability for him either in that one. If they yeah yeah, and to be honest, I. I the impression I get um, reading Spanish um, uh, Spanish coverage is that there's not really um, much of uh, an urgency to to get him. Um, but just like even in the sense of getting dropped out of Europa League, their competition, which mm-hmm. is the final is going to be hosted in the Sanchez Pizjuan, uh, getting booted out of Copa del Rey by their arch rivals Real Betis. It all just feels a bit anticlimactic. You know, this is a team we we admire. Like, they, they're run so well by Monchi. Julian Lopetegui is clearly a very um, astute tactician. But it just feels, it feels kind of disappointing. Like, this is how their season's going to, to peter out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hugely disappointing, which is why, you know, okay, move away from all that and you start to, if you're, if you're within the club right now, you're like, we got to, like, Champions League, that's all that matters. At halftime of this match, you were teed up perfectly to do Champions League, three points out of this, finish the season on a strong. Yeah, you were booted out of these other competitions. You've been really good at home for most of the year. And this really almost feels like the 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 the, um, the indicator of, of the form that they've been in, right? It, you're able to sort of, had they won this game, you could sort of look at it and go, yeah, maybe we fell short here of a few of our goals, but we're still on on path. Now they've got a, a really rough rest of the season in terms of the points. Not that three points would have swung them either way, but it would have at least kicked them into some momentum against the league leaders that they're not going to catch anyway. But at least there would have been some positive to come out of this. And this, I think, is a a pretty big failure on the day, given the circumstances, especially. Like, had they lost in over 90 in the, you know, a normal game? Okay, cool. Whatever. Real Madrid's better than Sevilla. We can move on with that. But the fact that they were up 2-0 and to fall apart like that, I think is more like you like you were saying indicative of some of the things that have gone wrong this season for them. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a huge morale morale blow for them. Uh, just to wrap up quickly on La Liga, there were other games today. Uh, Atletico Madrid, we saw them in the league table there a moment ago, scraped a win in the hundredth minute against Espanyol. Um, Raúl de, de Tomás went from hero to zero, uh, scoring the equalizer with a. Uh, with thanks to a terrible Jan Oblak uh, fumble. I don't know if you saw that. And then he gave away a penalty deep into injury time, uh, which Yannick Carrasco put away. Um, LME witnessed Celta beating Athletic Club in San Mamez. I'm very jealous about that. That's that's quite an experience he had. Yeah, Iñaki Williams made it six straight years without missing a single game for his club, which is just remarkable. I mean, when goalkeepers do that stuff, okay. But, like, otherwise, that's insane. No, it's just phenomenal. Like, I don't think that can ever be repeated in top five league. It's just incredible. Um, And then, yeah, Barcelona, we saw them in the league table playing caddies tomorrow. So, um, yeah, they're in with a shot of um, leapfrogging Sevilla after that. So, yeah, it's uh, just a normal La Liga season. Normal business resumed. Real Madrid, Barcelona, top of the pile. Yeah, anyway, let's I mean, move. I never thought that would happen, by the way, this season. But, you know, uh, here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Goldman Sachs. Well done. Well yeah. played. Anyway, uh, let's move on to FA Cup. There was um 
big game today, big game yesterday. We'll start, of course, with the most recent. Chelsea winning 2-0 over Crystal Palace. How did you see this one, Heath? Yeah, I mean, I thought Palace, again, were, were, were good in the first half. And Thomas Tuchel came out in the second half, uh, approaching the game quite a bit differently. And it opened up Palace. And then as soon as they got one, I just didn't really see... Uh, Palace really having a lot of uh, options or opportunities in the way that they did in the first half. They didn't create opportunities in the first half, but they were in it. They were very much in this tie, and I know this one means a lot to them. Uh, but Chelsea, who continue to rotate their squad, trying to figure out who their who their who their best eleven is, um, were able to sort of. You just saw them wear them down over time, and when they got their goals, uh, there was no coming back for for Crystal Palace. I mean, I I, I watched this one for the most part, kind of intently, some of it passively. And there was never really a moment where I was like, okay, you know, uh, Chelsea look a little bit vulnerable and, and this could be Palace's. Although in the first half, you know, they it, it had that makings of like neither team is really going for it. Neither team is really exposed, which obviously plays towards towards Palace in the end because it takes a free kick or a set, you know, a corner kick or, you know, a set piece from somewhere or some sort of deflection can change the game of that. But a pretty, pretty solid, uh, solid uh, game from from Chelsea. And by the way, I don't remember what it was, but I I think Chelsea have been in the have won their semifinal in the FA Cup. I don't remember what the statistic is, like ten times or something, or eight out of ten times or something crazy like that. I'll have to go back and look at it, but they're apparently they're pretty good in the FA Cup semifinal. I mean, yeah, Thomas Thomas Tuchel has uh, you know obviously the last few months have been quite challenging for them on for numerous reasons, but mm-hmm. when it comes to cup competitions, the man knows how to navigate them. Uh, yeah, um, one of the big talking points going into this game was um, the omission of Conor Gallagher and Chelsea Loney, who has been a revelation uh, this year with Crystal Palace. They're a very good team, Crystal Palace, don't get me wrong. It's not a one-player one team, but you did notice his absence in midfield. Um, what are your thoughts on this whole uh, controversy, I'll say in air quotes, about the uh, the fear clause of, of not being allowed to to play against his parent club. I think it's stupid. I think if a player surplus to requirements, whether it's from the player or from the club or 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 all of the above, that player should be able to play. I mean, if it was me and I wasn't getting the minutes that I wanted, I went to another club. I would want to be on the field to prove to them that I should be a, a core part of that. And also the strides that Gallagher's made this year, you would want to would want to put that on display. There's also the fact that they, they refused to have a, a purchase clause for him when he went on loan as well, where it's just like, it's kind of ridiculous. And I think they should do away with it. I, and I think in a weird way, I don't know why they do it. I don't know what the purpose, I mean, what is the, what is the reason? Is there a, is there, I, mean, like, I can see the from the parent club's perspective, I can see why they would want to do it. Like, yeah, like you can for- weaken the opposition any way you can, and you don't want your, your yeah, player like, to, to damage your chances. Chelsea but. has 150 players out on loan, you know, like it's, uh, it, it just feels like a bit, I mean, I get it. Okay. If he had, if he had the match of his life, but it's not like how many players have gone out on loan and been so good that they're better than all of the Chelsea team. You know, he could have a standout performance, but then at the end of the day, you get to go, Hey, at the end of the season, look what we're going to get back, you know? And if anything, that's a compliment. I just feel like it's a little anticlimactic and a little, a little sad that, that, that these clauses exist because I would like to see how he compares right uh, out on loan. For I would sure, like to see yeah. how he compares after a year like this of development playing for a club and to be just randomly picked out of being like, Oh, you can't play in this one. I think, I think sucks, especially the magnitude 
um, of, of the game itself. I think one, it hurts Crystal Palace because he's been so good this year. And two, it just hurts the the natural competition of the the two teams putting their best team out to, to see who can win. For sure. I, I think you can't really blame Chelsea for availing of this clause. If it's if it's available, I can see why they do it. Um I, I guess this is on, you know, the FA, the Premier League to to uh to make amendments yeah. uh, where where that's concerned. My, I cast my mind back to Alvaro Morata. Uh, another Chelsea player, but this is when he was at Real Madrid and went on loan to Juventus and then scored the goals to eliminate uh, Real from the from Champions League. So yeah. it can be damaging. I, I, it can be damaging. <laughs> I I get that. But at the same time, like, that's a beautiful yeah. story. It's a beautiful yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. And Just, it's, it's the parent club's fault for not wanting to keep them around. Yeah. Anyway. I, I, um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, go ahead. Well, well just getting back to the game itself. Uh, so obviously his absence was felt. Um, one player I was really looking out for was... Um, Wil- Wilfred Zaha, uh, obviously a core uh, instrumental key figure for Palace. I felt he was um, kind of isolated today, very hard to get the ball to him. Chelsea did a pretty pretty good job of just kind of keeping him under under wraps. Uh, yeah, I he was- saw that just from Chelsea's approach to to keeping keeping a, a leash on on Palace's attack. Yeah, he was the main. He was the main threat right and i think they neutralized that as a threat which which uh played into their favor i mean again like i said the first half didn't really seem either way for either team but he was eliminated from from the start like in the first half he was he was relatively quiet as well well he was completely quiet in the first half so i think that played into to to chelsea in terms of him being the threat that you needed to neutralize and once they had him in in that position where he wasn't really being effective He's going to go looking for for other ways to 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 get involved, and obviously uh, wasn't able to do that in in time. But I think yeah, it's a great shot. They they, they you could tell that they were setting up their system to try to neutralize the threat that he can make to the team uh, or against them, and they did a good job of that. So um, it's actually credit to 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 the tactical system of of, of Chelsea in that one. No, for sure. Uh, so yeah, now it's uh, we we have the the finalists. It's Chelsea, Liverpool. Fourth time round oh, this again. season. Yeah. Again, the the previous two uh, iter- or previous three iterations all ended um, square. Uh, so how, how do you? And one had some fun penalties, going? I guess. One had some. I fun, mean, it certainly uh, did. Yeah, in, yeah. In, in a way, uh, uh, this is the unique thing: is like this could be a salvageable moment for 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 Chelsea standards, right? It's that time of the year where you start to look at any competition that you're in and go, this is a big enough trophy to, to call it a, a W this year. Uh, and then on the same side, Liverpool are still very much on for the quadruple, obviously secured one. They've got three that they're still part of. Uh, so it's just going to be interesting to see who they roll out into this match, knowing that you're going to be playing against the Chelsea side that's going to roll out their 100% best team. When you go back to the League Cup, I remember lo- watching it and thinking like, this is a little bit of an odd sort of speed of the game, a little casual, a little relaxed, a little bit of like, don't get injured today. Uh, that led to 150 penalties uh, in the end, which ended up put, putting you way more at risk when you play 120 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah everyone's cramping for, uh, the, for the next month. Yeah, exactly. But I think it's a good, a, a good match. I don't particularly enjoy watching Liverpool and Chelsea play each other, but um, a, a final is a final. So it'll be interesting to see how they actually come out and for Chelsea specifically, this is their this is their moment, right? This is this is their big moment for the season. They were in a title race earlier on in the year. 
you go all the way back to when Lukaku first arrived. I really loved everything that they were doing. I was like, oh, the puzzle is complete. There's no longer this missing piece. And that has not been the case for them this year. <laughs> They've fallen a bit. So this could be a salvageable moment for them. And then also for, for Liverpool, just to see how they can, from, from a depth standpoint, how composed they can stay from now through the end of the regular season at the league level, now FA Cup, Champions League. It's going to be a lot of a big balancing act for them. And and I don't know if they have enough depth to really rotate the squad. So um, yeah, we'll see what they put out. Yeah. May, May is going to be a very intriguing month where, where it comes to Liverpool. And um, like you said, very unlikely that the, the league title will be decided before the penultimate, maybe the ultimate match day. And then Champions Crazy. League, you'd imagine they're going to be uh, involved all the way through. We'll see. Uh, in other news, Chelsea, uh, both, the men and women's team reached the FA Cup finals. Um, Chelsea women's team beating Arsenal 2-0 and they're going to be Man City uh, in the final. That's on May 14th, um, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so yeah, that's my that's my attempt of a, a seamless segue into talking about Manchester City and um, a certain Mr. Zach Stefan. The whole of Twitter had opinions about um, his blunder uh, mm-hmm. for Sadio Mane's first goal yesterday. Um, I want to ask your opinions about this. Is Are we making a storm in a teacup? Is this as big a catastrophe as, as we're led to believe? No. Uh, yeah, I mean, yes, uh, on some level. It, it, it's a huge catastrophe because you the higher the level you go, the less room for error you get, right? Because the quality gets better around you, the less opportunities you get if you make those errors. You go back to the FA Cup last year, when he made a mistake of sort of coming off his line, getting caught in between lines. And now, granted, they got in behind and he kind of got stuck and maybe could have made the save if he had stayed on, stayed kind of in front of the goal mouth. Um, and he made that mistake and was criticized. But this one was a this one was an odd one just because of the fact that like he was so calm and casual that I don't know how he didn't see in his peripheral that somebody is coming at full speed. And then you add that kind of uh uh, insult to injury or injury, whatever the phrase is, uh, on the third <laughs> the third goal that that beats him to the near post. Fantastic strike and a quick release, and you know, uh, well placed near the post. But you know, you start to look at that through a different lens and go, man, should he had saved that? Would he, should he be in better positioning? I mean, he's been beat at his near post on a on a little clip to the back post. He should have had time to get over further to to cut that angle off. But the more alarming thing is the fact that. You just quickly, I don't know why we think it's okay to have goalkeepers that don't play matches, but it's not okay to have field players that don't play matches. What's the difference? If anything, it's the most dangerous position to have somebody who's not firing on all cylinders. And that's not Zach Steffen's fault. And I do like the idea that this is where he gets gets his games. Because you see that generally across the board. And some, some teams change it when they get to the semis and finals and whatnot. But the fact that he's not getting a good run of games, the fact that he's... He's he's been in and out of injuries so far this year. Uh, it's a little bit alarming for for U.S. men's national team fans and just Man City alike, right? You you've got to look at that and you know and uh, Graylish said nice things about him after and saying you know we're, we're, we stand by him and all those kinds of things. But for him, take all of that away, it, he's still got to also process this and either leverage this to get better and learn from it, or this could haunt you. You know, these are the kinds of things because. It's FA Cup semifinal. Everybody's watching, you know, around the world. Everybody's going to remember this whole thing. You know what's going to happen next year on his first game? And then the next game and the next game that he plays, people are going to talk about it, whether in the broadcast or otherwise. Now, let's not forget what happened last year, you know. And this year, they talked about what happened to him the year before. And 
you don't want to get the reputation of uh, of that. Not that reputations mean anything to to a player on the field, but it is a little bit worrying. Just the circumstances of him not getting a ton of time, his constant uh, issues with um, you know the muscle spasms and 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 back issues that I think he's having, and and kind of what that means going into the next six months before the World Cup. Yeah, just I don't want to just dwell on this for too long, but you mentioned that you're worried about the lack of minutes for any of the goalkeepers. Um, well, the current crop who have been called into to the qualifying rosters. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, the one player who, or the one goalkeeper a lot of people are talking about is um, Gabriel Slonina, another mm-hmm. clean sheet in the weekend. He's it's the like only five one. five out of seven, right? It's like five clean sheets of seven so far this year. So with, with that in mind, I know he's still very young and it's probably premature to talk about bringing him into the, the final roster for the World Cup, but June's right around the corner. Is, does it make sense to, to finally give him a, a run of games? Or? I, I would like use it. him. I'd use him for games. I mean, you, you, go back to, you go back to like the early days when we had Bill Hamid, who was young. We had uh, Sean Johnson, who was young in the national team. Brad, Brad Gazan was young in the national team. You know, you had a lot of these guys and you know, you want to get them some games and, and none of those guys were ever number ones until they, I mean, Gazan was for, for a good while, but that was post Tim Howard, but he spent a, a good amount of time being the second one in line to get games that, you know, no one's looking at Gabriel Slanina going like, he's not like he's, you get five clean sheets for a reason. Now they could be circumstantial where you're playing against a team on their worst day and maybe you get one or two that way, or you're playing, you know, your back line is the best in the world. And I don't think that's the case at Chicago fire. He's still having to make saves and do things that keep his team in, in game. So I think certainly get him a, a few looks or get him a few games, uh, at least to just see how he responds. Right. Same thing with Matt Turner, Matt Turner. We didn't know what he was going to be. Uh, you know, you go back to Matt Turner's story and he was like, he was training on the sidelines of, 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 of the revs games before he got his, like everybody's waiting for their moment to prove themselves is I guess is what I'm getting to. So why not, if you're going to go and you're going to split time with goalkeepers, let him be one of the ones that gets, gets uh, a half and you're going to have two goalkeepers likely not playing, uh, come, come summertime and into the fall. So if you have one, that's at least playing, get him, get him some minutes and and some, uh, some valuable experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that I, I suppose we, we've covered enough ground on the FA Cup. We're going to take a short little break. Uh, on the other side, we'll, we'll talk about Premier League, a little bit on Le Classique, and who knows, maybe, maybe a little bit extra if you're lucky. Mm, All right, we'll be right back. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, welcome back in to the second half of the weekend recap. Uh, Heat, we got a in soccer we trust um, a busy week ahead. Do you want to uh, tell us what's uh, what's on the cards for tomorrow? 
Yeah, so we've got uh, Hugo Perez, the uh, former U.S. men's national team. I would say I would put him in the category of legend with the amount of uh, caps that he had and the contributions to the national team. But current, uh, you know, kind of has has been part of El Salvador's run through World Cup qualifying. And it's just going to be able to bring a very valuable perspective of somebody who's been on the inside with U.S. soccer, uh, been on the inside as a player and, and, and then part of the staff, and then also is now from the outside looking in, and, and going through qualifying, having played against the U.S., having played against Canada, having played against Mexico, we, we're going to find out where he sees everybody in, uh, from, from a, a less biased perspective, which we're, we're all full of. So he'll be on for Monday. And then obviously <laughs> we, we go live every Monday, Thursday and Friday. Um, and if you're just listening to this on audio, obviously 1 p.m. Eastern time on Mondays and Fridays. Thursdays we go at 3 p.m. Eastern time. So we're going to keep this uh, USMNT conversation going week in and week out. So you can find us over there. Um, on in soccer we trust awesome yeah uh, anyone listening in or watching please uh, make sure to uh, like subscribe in soccer we trust and of course kegelazzo and um, if you haven't hit that like and subscribe button yet please do so uh, let's turn our attention to the premier league i uh, had mm-hmm. a couple of games this morning um west ham united uh drawing level with with burnley um big week for burnley um sean dice uh, getting the boot a bit unceremoniously uh, came as a surprise to a lot of people. Obviously, they're involved in a relegation scrap, um, but it seemed like a strange move given his uh, the identity of the club and his um, stewardship of it up until that point. I don't think fans or players were particularly pleased with the decision. Um, just very quickly, your your thoughts on 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 getting rid of him? Yeah, this one's hard just because. I feel like when these things happen, I tend to think that there was a conversation between the board and a few players um, or the, you know, whoever it is that's organizing and a few players saying, is, is, is he the guy? Is he the guy that you think can keep him up, keep us up? Otherwise, I just don't see how a board goes away and goes, you know, it would be a good time to let go of our coach right now. You know, in the, in, in the midst of a, a relegation scrap, that's going to come down probably to the final day that you're going to need a few big results uh, along the way. It just feels a little bit uh, too convenient to me that it, uh, for it to be like blind, blindsided to, to the team and the staff, unless somebody's in there just trying to sabotage something, which would be a horrible thing, and I don't see how that would be uh, good for anybody. So yeah, really surprising. Um, and obviously, to go and get a 1-1 draw, uh, I don't know if that, I mean, it's better than zero, I guess, in the situation that they're in now, uh, considering that there's still three points off of, off of Everton. And, you know, you're looking at leads who went, who are unbeaten in four, three of those are wins, you know, Aston Villa on, on a little bit of a, of a, of a free fall at the moment, but still too many points to really have to worry. And then Newcastle, Crystal Palace, all of them just sort of sitting up further that you're looking at really looking at Watford, Burnley or Everton um, being in that, being that third position uh, that goes down. I mean, I'd be slightly there. worried about Leeds United. Uh, honestly, just the run of games they, they have around the corner. It's pretty, pretty difficult. Um, but yeah, I, like my, my thoughts on the whole Burnley decision, maybe they're just taking a leaf out of Watford's book where you just chop and change managers. Um, but do, you th- do you think that's win? setting, do you well, think, do you think that's setting up for the future of saying, Hey, this, we've got a manager in mind and, and therefore, we're going to bring them in because they'll be great for the championship, but they'll also be great for like 
a little bit more of like, well, if we stayed up, we'd be stuck with this manager again. Like then he's a hero and it's a more complicated situation. Seems like a horrible time to do any of that, but I, at least I like posing the question of like, maybe that's why? their fear is that he does keep them up and then they're stuck with that, the Sean Dice brand of football for another season, at least, you yeah. know, it's exactly. been a long time, but it's just, but, again, there's no good time to do that. Right. Like, or they feel like the contributions that he has, or they feel like this team is either going to go up or stay down despite like whether it's whether it's uh his his whether he had something to do with it or not and they felt like he didn't have enough to do with it and therefore like make the change i don't know it's a horrible timing so uh, not that there's ever good yeah. timing in the situation that they're in well they had their their goalkeeper nick pope appropriate for easter sunday uh, he pretty much kept them in the game uh, they took a 1-0 lead and they lost uh, ashley westwood to a really stomach churning injury um in the, in the first half but um and uh, Max Maxwell Cornet missed a penalty and then um Suchek leveled things and Nick Pope pulled out some incredible saves. One in particular, and um, there was a Diop header. I don't know how he managed to keep it out, but he did one off to them. And then Newcastle United at the death, Bruno Gimerdish um winning it, turning around against Leicester City. And like you said, I think Newcastle United are home and dry. Yeah. Um they can they can count their money and Look at the war chest for next season. Come oh, exactly. Summer. Exactly. I mean, that's that's the building block, right? You bring in a Bruno Guimaraes and you don't know what's going to happen or how long it's going to take to pan out. And you have a little bit of a swing. I think they spent like 40 million on him or something. And it was a quick move from 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 Lyon who spent 20 on him. And it was just like a quick flip of 20 to 40. And you go, well, I, how much is this going to help? And it's the exact types of pieces that and you go back to the Chelsea era, beginning of Chelsea era, the beginning of Man City era. And there's going to be a few pieces that you have to really put in place that are going to attract the, the the bigger money to go out and spend it, right? So people don't look at it and go like, well, you know, if I'm if I'm whoever, uh, that's a big name. What? Why would I go there? You're not. There's no foundation built around. It's going to be a few of us stars trying to survive, and we're going to finish mid table. So those are the types of signings that that you have to get right. And and well done by 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 Newcastle to 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 have him come in at this point and have the contributions that he's ha- he's had. Uh, because it's setting them up. They're now safe, which is worth $100 million plus, I guess. And now they can start to focus on, okay, now that we're out of the danger, for the most part, we can uh, focus on on recruiting and building you know, a super a super club, which is what they want to see. Yeah, no, it, it's going to be a very interesting summer to come. We'll be talking to Fabrizio Romano a lot um, between now and the end of the, the transfer window, so it's going to be very intriguing indeed. As he calls it, it's the summer of strikers, but um, I think Newcastle will be bolstering along different lines, not just up front. Um, let's talk about um, the top four race. It was a bit of a banana skin weekend for London clubs. We mentioned West Ham. They drew to Burnley at home. That was a bit unexpected. But really, it's the North London clubs we have to focus on here. I'm afraid Heath, um, your beloved Arsenal, and Tottenham uh, both losing and opening the door wide open for Manchester United to... Uh, to crawl back into the top four race. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm just, I'm looking at the table right now and I'm just, I'm, I'm shocked. So for anybody that's listening <laughs> to this and uh, on audio, I, you, you know, from a form guide standpoint, Arsenal have lost three in a row and they've lost four of, of five, right? And they, they're the ones that at one point I think had four games in hand, a potential 12 points to be able to jump that would have put them within two points of Chelsea 
way up at uh, the you know with within third place. Chelsea have obviously gone on a decent run of form in the league as well. Um, but they would have been on points. They would have been within two, which say that would have put them at sixty. They'd have been a decent spot. But now they're sitting at fifty four points in sixth place. Uh, you know, in 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 like arms reach from uh, West Ham in seventh on on fifty two. Uh, Wolves and eight on 49. Now, maybe you start to get into some bigger gaps there, but you know, your top eight, you, they haven't escaped uh, from that, let alone trying to break into the top four. Spurs falling as well uh, this weekend. And Man United, again, despite despite their their attempts to to literally not do anything this year, have now found them, themselves in, in fifth um, and some momentum uh, and a fight for, for a top four finish, which is what that club needs uh, if they want to have any chance of being able to justify whatever insane <laughs> things they're going to do uh in in the off season yeah it's it's really remarkable that they almost threw things away against Norwich City Norwich City um who have been very very poor all season um yeah. almost threw the way and thanks to this man on screen Cristiano Ronaldo with um uh, a lot of 30s in that tweet I'm sharing now uh, bags a hat trick and and gets them over the line uh, yeah, it's just still not convincing by Man United, but they do have like a pretty well compared like all those teams vying for that fourth spot have a difficult enough run run in. And uh, Manchester United on Tuesday play Liverpool away, then it's Arsenal away, then Brentford at home, Brighton away, Chelsea at home, and Crystal Palace to round things off. Uh, really hard to know what's going to happen in those games. They have this ability, at least under Solskjaer, to a uh, turn things on against big teams and they have a few of them to come so you wouldn't really know what what might happen just speaking about your arsenal though and and that horrible run of form I, they're just not scoring goals and um, so we have Lacazette it's been no secret that he isn't much uh, he's not as prolific say as other number nines and uh, Martinelli's been very good not exactly a striker he's had good runs of, of form um, but can't be relied on to, to bag mm -hmm. multiple goals. Um, so begs the question, was getting rid of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang a bit of a mistake? If they do <laughs> fail to get into fourth, will this be viewed as a bit of a bit of a weak spot in terms of Mikel Arteta's man management? Could he have perhaps repaired the damage that was caused? Yeah, I mean, looking at it now, obviously he's gone on to Barcelona and done quite well uh, and fit in seamlessly at Barcelona. And so when you look at a player like that and you think about, I mean, this one's so hard for me just because of the fact that like Aubameyang was, was not in great form. Aubameyang was clearly a poor influence on the locker room in terms of leadership of younger players and things like that. He is a little bit of a one-man band uh, in terms of being the star which is really hard. Like if you were to take away the last three, four, like four weeks, which is, is a lifetime, I guess, in a Premier League season, that's like, you know, whatever, uh, a pretty high percentage. Yeah, how many games do you squeeze season. in yeah. four weeks? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah. It's say, say the last five games, you take that away, they were an incredible run of form. The team was amazing. We were talking about post Aubameyang era. This is amazing because it's more of a unit. It's more like it's centered around young players that are rising to the, to the, to the challenges that they have. And then you hit this dip of form and you start to go, oh yeah, you know, Maybe we should have just benched Aubameyang for a while. And then when we hit this dip, dip of form, you go, 
yeah, let's throw him back in. When for context, I was in I was thrown out of my club in the Bundesliga at one point. And a month later, they were like and they threw it into the paper. They're like, he's done. He's not going to play here anymore. Like there was like the sabotage attempt against me. And then like a month later and I did nothing like, and then a month later they were like, Oh, his attitude is compl- the team was in a bad run of form. I was, I was playing out of my mind in training and they needed me and they, they knew they needed me. And I was in it. I was playing uh, as a left or right midfielder then as a winger. And, uh, all of a sudden, at back in the newspaper, oh, his attitude's completely changed. You know, he's such a good guy now, and like he's really shown putting the team first and all this nonsense. And I was like, no, no, I just kept on going about my business, and I, I got the opportunity again. They were the idiots that put the the the, the piece out, uh, like kind of the hit piece against the hit me. Piece. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it was in, it was in build, and it was in like a region that like ever, it was the gospel then. This was like you know pre uh, social media era. Thank goodness, because I don't know what I would have said uh, if I if I could have. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't yeah. pre, but it was pre ha- athletes having a voice on those platforms. It was only bad that would come of it. But um, but then, yeah, after a while, it wasn't like I I left town and packed my bags and went somebody else. I think you could have done that instead of giving him away for free. I mean, what was the worst that was going to happen? You don't want to pay his wages. I get that. But six more months into the season, you hit this dip of form. You know, it's kind of that rainy day fund of being able to throw him in and see what could happen. That's in retrospect because you didn't know. That's me talking from the outside in, not knowing the attitude that he had. Would he come to training every day and train hard? Would he be still be a good influence? You never know because those could be pretty poisonous as well. That could cost you results at other points. So, you know, like for like, it's probably the best thing that he left. But certainly at a time when they're not scoring, you go, man, you know, you gave away somebody for free that you should have kept and then maybe said, hey, you get one last shot. This is the last one you get and see what happens. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I'm not trying to... Uh play too much devil's advocate or, or stir the pot for Arsenal fans. I think in the time when, when they did get rid of him, I thought it was, it was the correct decision to make. And they did have um, a good run of form and were very cohesive, um, at least for the few weeks that followed. So yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. see what happens there towards now and the end of the season. Um, so let's, uh, we'll keep things trucking along, move across the channel to, to Paris, where we just witnessed Le Classique. Uh, PSG just edging a 2-1 and um, Marseille um, weren't allowed to have any traveling fans at the game and um, just the way things are in France <laughs> with uh, rival fan groups and particularly those two and um, there's no love lost there uh, they have not had away fans at Le Classique since February 2018 which crazy. is Pretty I mean, amazing. those fans like to fight and they like to throw fireworks that explode at each other. And there's been some serious violence, but yeah, I get it. But it always hurts the the atmosphere because, you know, away fans are an important part of building atmosphere in stadiums. For sure, for sure. So yeah, not that it makes any difference to the, to the title race. PSG are well ahead. I think it's 15 points now, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even more. Um so yeah, Marseille played quite well. First half was was pretty dogged. Uh, they kept in it, played a very high line, and you know gave gave PSG some headaches, particularly on set pieces. Um, but yeah, it's just a bit too easy there for 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 the likes of Neymar and, and Kylian Mbappe. Yeah, I mean when you have those players, you're you're always in games. But the upside for for Marseille is you know they're coming off of an eight eight game winning streak, right? That's pretty much put them. Uh, on pace to to hopefully finish in a Champions League spot, and 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 that's only happened to them, you know, I guess once in the last. Uh, I, looking here, actually, I could just look right here: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like eight seasons. 
they've made the Champions League once um, and Europa League, the rest of that. And that's going back to the 2012-13 season. They finished second. 19-20 season, they finished second. So for them, you know, okay, you lose to, you lose to PSG. Now you've got some more work to do to finish second. But to go on that run of, of form that they've had, I think is 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 a sign of of of, of good things to come for them, uh, and the fact that they're what does that say fifty nine points now. Fifty nine. So they're, they're still in yeah, the thick they, of it with Ren and Nice, lead. but like, um, but overall, you know, with I guess uh, that's six games left in the season or seven games. Um, uh, left six. In the season. Six. Yeah. Yeah. So six games left in the season, and and there, no one's going to catch PSG, but uh, the fact that they're there and they're they're within kind of reaching distance of a champions league. And the fact that they were putting up a little bit of a fight with PSG, I think is a good, a good sign just because yeah, they've, they've struck when you think about Marseille, hey, you know, let's not struggled. forget there. They've got, um, European top European title hopes this season to, uh, to concern themselves with, with the, the conference league semifinals. That's right. So, you know, in, in the face of PSG who have, you know, really failed in, in their European and European ambitions, they did reach the final. Champions League two years ago. Marseille have, you know, they're they're two games away from from reaching another final after Europa League, uh, their Europa League adventure of 2018. So I think that would be that would be a moral boost if they finish the season with the European title, at least, even if they don't be PSG in, in the league. Um, yeah, so I, and I know that's sort of that sort of seems like Leicester City's plan too. Is like what what can you do in the Conference League to to uh, get yourself a European spot if if you're falling out? So at least for Marseille, they've got two ways in which they can they can get into Europe, um, which could have obviously implications for other teams in the league if they secure the top one into a Champions League spot. For sure, for sure. Anyway, um, we're getting to the end of the of the show. Oh, just before. Um, just because I want to give balance to our goalkeeper coverage, uh, John Luigi Donnarumma, he was he was culpable for a terrible mistake for the for the Marseille goal. So it's not just Zach Stefan who who's guilty of of no, these actually. In- Jimmy Jimmy Conrad put out a a really cool compilation video of just major gaffes, which I thought was a a. a, a I don't know if he made that compilation or not, but uh, yeah, I saw the one. Anyone listening in, check out yeah. Jimmy's Twitter. Yeah, it, but it was really cool. It's kind of been picked up by a bunch of different uh, kind of U.S.-based outlets, um, kind of supporting Zach Steffen, just to show that like some of the biggest goalkeepers in the world at big moments, including like you know Euro quarterfinals, things like that. With uh, who was it, Casillas or something like that, had made a big mistake. Um, yeah, or yeah, Unai Simone and yeah. in the last Euros, you had yeah. Peter Schmeichel uh, of Paramount Plus team. So yeah, yeah. All, all goalkeepers were uh, <laughs> yeah. in his remit there. So exactly. yeah, very nice exactly. of him to do that. I hope yeah. I hope he makes a, a similar compilation whenever I Dude, make a mistake. I wish I wish somebody would have just been like every time that a guy beat me for a goal during my career, somebody put out a like you know when like Boateng got his legs locked up by Messi. Uh, you know, and, and then people made the things of him falling through the earth and all that being like, it's okay. It happens <laughs> to everybody. Cause then I would just feel li- just a little bit better if that could be, you know, uh, yeah. sent to me every time that happened. Yeah. Jimmy, if you're listening, uh, yeah, put your editing skills to good use. Me and Heath could, uh, could do with the, um, with the boost anyway. Yeah. Um, final thoughts. There were, there were other things going on, of course, and in, in Europe and beyond, uh, just just taking it over to MLS very quickly, there's um, reports um, that San Jose Earthquakes and Matias Almeida are finally going to uh, part ways after a very tumultuous 
relationship, at least this season is concerned. And well, well, you know, for people that don't know, he he was trying to basically leave at the end of last season, but he wanted him and his staff to get paid out. This is speculative, but from what I had heard, he was trying to get everybody paid out to go. They didn't want to pay him out, so he just stayed. And now it just seems like they're they're on this like you know on the inside sabotaging things until they're like, you guys need to go. Uh, and it sounds like now they're parting ways. So he got the end result was the same, but they've wasted uh, a lot of time. For certainly did, yeah. And then uh, elsewhere today, um, Tati Castellanos, who Luis Miguel Echegaray uh, interviewed at the end of last season, last season's um, golden boot. Uh, he scored four goals today as uh, NYCFC absolutely demolished Real Salt Lake. Um, but let's just take it back to your very quickly. There was an old firm um, derby earlier today at Celtic Park. This time it was Rangers who won uh, mm-hmm. on enemy soil, uh, coming from behind to win 2-1 and book their place in the Scottish uh, Cup final, which will be on May 21st. And um, we've got another old firm in the league coming up on on CBS at the Mm -hmm. beginning of May. Um, It looks like Celtic will probably uh, get the the league title, but all, um, yeah, Rangers are doing quite well in other competitions. And, you know, whenever these teams meet, it doesn't matter what's up for grabs. It's all about the bragging rights. Yeah, I mean, you know, you take you take the old firm history out of it because I don't want to divide anybody with this whole thing. But Rangers and Celtic both being good is a great thing, right? Uh, because there was a decade of it being completely lopsided. And now to see Rangers come back and be competitive, you know, especially with just the reputation Celtic not doing well in Europe, but doing well domestically, it just it adds to the to the to the love for the league and gives you more reason to watch uh, more and more matches from that league uh, every single season because those games are fun, man. Yeah, yeah. And I think Celtic fans, you know, would have been reluctant to admit that a few years ago, but it, it definitely, you know, uh, rising tide uh, raises all boats, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they don't want to see Rangers <laughs> getting anywhere near that Europa League title, but um, it's out of their hands now. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, Syria, obviously we can't uh, ignore that. There was no games today, of course, um, because of Easter Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. Italy being a very Catholic um, country and respecting uh, tradition. Um, but there were two games on Friday with uh, big implications for the Scudetto race as both Milan teams uh, eked out wins, uh, Inter beating Spezia and Milan beating Genoa. And now there's huge pressure on Napoli to to remain in the race tomorrow when they host Roma, a very informed Roma side, it has to be said. Jose Mourinho seems to be uh, getting things to click there, particularly towards this uh, business end of the season. Sometimes you just got to go to Bodo Glimt in Norway just to... (laughs) Or uh, to really dial it in and get your confidence back. Uh, I don't know. If remember, I don't hey, know. If they you, they I, struggle against Bodo Glimt in their previous two encounters. This I season, know. You know, well, not, well, not an easy game for them. No, it's not an easy game. But it was. It, I don't know if you heard his interview after that game when he was just sort of like the better team won. You know, we, we did everything we had to do, and then and then I was like, oh man, he's going to go on this rant right now. And then he ended up being like, you know what? They did a great job. Um, you know, they came out and it was a good fight for them. But just we were just we're just a better we're just a better football club. We're Roma, you know? Um, and I was like, okay, he tied that together really well uh, of, of not having to run away. And by the way, the, hey. the, the other, the other uh, news that I, that, that I know we wanted to mention was uh, Ten Hag l- losing in the cup final in Holland uh, to, to PSV Eindhoven. And in my mind, I'm just thinking I, they've got a four point cushion in the league over, over PSV. They don't play each other again, but 
if he were to lose the final and then lose that, and then the United fans who may not be paying attention to uh, the news lately find out that this new manager is coming in and they go to research him only to find out that this guy, you know, fell short in the Champions League with the, <laughs> best, with the best I mean, team he, they've had a, a long time. He's a United manager now. You know, he's just trying to get yeah. Yeah. Uh, a climate... A, you know, failed, to his yeah, failed, failed with the best uh, Ajax team that they've had in, in Champions League in terms of experience of being able to go late, like built the team for, for Champions League, uh, loses in the cup final. And then if you were to fall short in the league, man, I don't know. They are going to go berserk. And I don't know how yeah, I mean, no. that jump from Ajax anyway is always going to for a man United, the club, their size, they're going to be some criticisms. But that you, you at least want something to finish on a positive note if that ends up happening. Yeah, a bit of, bit of a bummer now for him. When, when you consider where Ajax were, and we've covered that ground uh, extensively on, on Kegelat, so where they were at the beginning of the season, particularly Champions League group stage, you know, they're everyone's yeah. darlings, and it just yeah. seems like the wheels have come off. And he's uh, a fantastic way, manager Gutier- also. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. undoubtedly. Eric Gutierrez um, was one of the goal scorers for PSG, so a little nod to, to the L3 midfielder, yeah. so maybe he'll... Yeah. Uh, Maybe he'll um, get himself into contention come come Qatar time. We'll see. Hey, I'm I'm still a huge fan of of all of our young players go through Holland. That should be like we should sign an exclusive deal with Major League <laughs> Soccer to send them through Holland. Like, why can't Ricardo Pepe be at one of those clubs? You know, one of the top four clubs in Holland would have been better than Augsburg. But like, yeah, sign an exclusive deal. All of our players under a certain age have to go through Holland, just like Mexico. Like their best ones have always been Salcedo when he was there. He played with Beasley in Champions League and things like that. It was. Yeah, I don't know. That was a little bit of a side side note. Yeah, yeah, Andres Guardado. Yeah, the pipeline yeah. is uh, yeah has been prolific. Yeah. Anyway, Heath, um, that's all the ground we're going to cover today. I'm sure we've missed some things, but that's just how a two man weekend recap goes. You know, you can't cover everything. Uh, so, any anything else to say before we uh, call this a day? No, um, just we're at that uh, nearly insane part of the season where we're starting to see what all the teams are made of, and you know, like I said there's less and less points on the table and people that had points in hand, haven't taken advantage of most of those across the leagues. Not just, uh, I'm not just talking about Arsenal blowing up the last uh, month or so, but yeah, this is a fun episode to, to chat with you, Des. It's good to have you on here, man. Tell tell oh, well, LME he doesn't got to, he can extend his uh, vacation for a little bit because you know, you, we got a replacement, a permanent one. Well, I don't know if we've gone that far yet. It was nice to uh, switch things up a little bit, but I'm sure, um, both myself, my nerves, and the listeners will will <laughs> welcome LME back when when he when he can uh, join us from from Spain. That's anyway, uh, thank you all for listening. Whether you were watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast feed, make sure to check out Kegolazzo. We've got lots and lots of content to come. We're beginning a, a fun, exciting new series uh, tomorrow. So keep your ears to the ground for that, and then we'll have plenty more around the corner. Fabrizio Romano. We've got uh, Liverpool, Manchester United, the Copa Italia semi-final second legs next week. Uh, another weekend preview. Lots more to come. In Soccer We Trust with Heath Pierce, uh, Charlie Davis and Jimmy Conrad as well. Make sure you check that out on YouTube and your podcast feeds. And uh, thank you for listening. We'll see you again next time. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.